Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 58 of The Essential x Lapsed. Uh, we are back at it, and uh, for the first time in a very long time, we are Roy Thomasless. Uh, last issue, um, Roy Thomas was listed as plotter, and Gary Friedrich was our writer and scripter, of course, but uh, this time out, we got no Roy the Boy, so uh, are we going to be better off, worse off? I guess we'll find out together, won't we? And well, apropos of, uh, well, very little, uh, I'm getting this episode like kind of crammed in today because I just realized that I have uh, two dentist appointments in the next two days, today and tomorrow as I record this. It's uh, not ideal, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if this is going to have any ramifications on um, upcoming episodes as to whether or not I can, you know, speak through gritted teeth or, uh, I guess, speak uh, even as plainly as I'm speaking right now, which is to say not very well at all. But uh, we'll play it by ear, or I guess by tooth. But enough of my nonsense, let's get into today's issue. We're going to be talking about X-Men number 45, which had a June 1968 cover date. The story's called, well, we've got two stories, of course, but the first one's called When Mutants Clash, written by Gary Friedrich, with layouts by Don Heck, pencils Warner Roth, inks John Tartaglione, colors by somebody, letters Sam Rosen, edits, of course, Stan Lee, cover price, 12 cents. And here's the portion of the show where I try to stammer through explaining what the cover looks like, in that, you know, the logos are, you know, the X-Men logo is small, and da-da-da-da-da. This time out... Our main focus is on the senses-shattering Cyclops. The word X-Men is very, very tiny on the uh, cover. Unfortunately, unlike, you know, current year stuff, we really don't have much of a metric to go back to and see what sales looked like back then. I I wonder if there is any sort of prehistoric sales chart (laughs) that we could dig out of a filing cabinet somewhere to see uh, what these things sold like. Probably not. Anyway, we open with uh, with said senses-shattering Cyclops struggling to bust out of his bindings, which uh, we get to watch him do for two entire pages. Now you see, I don't know the science here, but we'll just uh, we'll just go with it. Since he hasn't used his optic blasts in several hours, he's become kind of pent up. And I suppose saying he's got blue eyes would be confusing, so I won't. Anyway, since he's so pent up, his powers are at their peak. And so he's able to concentrate and literally blow the lead mask off his face. From here, it's pretty academic. He frees himself from his shackles and then heads out of his cell to try to rescue his fellow X-Men. Now, the first door he happens across contains sweet Jean Grey. Only, well, she's unconscious and thus useless to Scott. Now, he reminds us that she's uh, inherited telepathic powers from Professor X, which... Okay, yeah, I mean, we did see that they were working together. I, these were weird times. Uh, I don't know if inheritance is the proper term, more than just, like, she was trained very, very uh, specifically to... Uh, I don't know. We're not going to get into it. Anyway, from here, we follow Scott up a flight of steps where he tries to find Bobby and or Hank. Now, he's spotted by the Toad, who attempts to trap our man by shuttering some iron doors in his path. Now, Scott's able to use his optic blast as like a, sort of kind of like a billiards bank shot to keep the doors open just long enough for him to dive through, and he literally dives through. Now, he realizes that at this point, it's a race against the clock, because if the Toad is able to report this to Magneto, Lord only knows what he'll do to the other captives. From here, our scene shifts over to Angel, who spends an entire page thinking and reminiscing about his recent run-in with Red Raven. He also laments the fact that he just can't get this geeky golden ager out of his mind. 
And uh, don't worry, worry, it, it will pass, because you'll probably never, ever think about him again. Anyway, our winged wonder finally reaches New York and heads toward Avengers Mansion. From here, we hop back to the Bermuda Triangle, where Scott still lurks around Magneto's base. He is spotted by Quicksilver, who immediately confronts him, but tries to do so peaceably. He tells our man that he just wants to talk. Unfortunately, he chose to start this plea with the word halt, which has a similar effect on Scott as, like, if you were to dare call Marty McFly a chicken. I mean, Scott's just like, what? You said halt? No one tells Cyclops to halt. And then he attempts to blast the bejesus out of our speedster. Elsewhere, the Toad has finally reached Magneto to tattle, and gets a magnetic shock for his troubles. You see, old Morty's only job here was to watch over the captives, and, uh, well, clearly he failed. So Magneto very nearly kills him. I could have sworn that last issue Magneto said that Pietro was going to be responsible for the X-Men. Oh well. Anyway, from here they uh, head over to the Magna screen to uh, give it a gaze and see if any of the other good guys have managed to break out. From here we hop back to the boys, where Quicksilver finally manages to get Cyclops to stop zacking long enough to make his plea. Now it's worth noting, it's here that the camera pans out a bit and we can see a trick arrow sticking out of the wall. Stan helpfully drops a footnote here, just to ensure even the slowest and densest of us notice it, so, um, you know what, thank you, Stan, because I'm honestly not sure I'd have given it a second thought, because it kind of meshed in with all the rest of the fake-ass Kirby tech around the place. Anyway, Pietro makes his plea, and, well, you know, I was almost sure he was going to tell Scott that he's, you know, not really with Magneto here, but, well, that doesn't appear to be the case at all. It seems as though he has bought in on Magneto's latest scheme. And I do think we got an inkling of this scheme a few issues back, but for current year X fans, uh, stop me if you heard this one before. You see, Magneto wants to create a mutant island. A sanctuary for mutants. A separate country for mutants. So, um, everything new is old again. Cyclops concedes that this sounds like a pretty good idea, and in fact, perhaps even a godsend for the mutants, but he will absolutely not go into business with Magneto. Not under any circumstances. He then spends nearly an entire page uh, thinking about Professor X's teachings, which earns him a punch in the face from Pietro, and uh, not a second too soon. What follows are several pages of Cyclops and Quicksilver's slap fight. Now, Pietro is too quick to zap, and Cyclops is literally blasting constantly at this point. Finally, our speedster is able to noink some graphite padding out of one of Magneto's many wall-sized computers, and he smacks it into Scott's face. To which Cyclops shouts, My eyes, I can't see. You might be asking yourselves, how, how can this be possible because he's wearing a visor, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe Pietro is so fast that he managed to wedge the stuff in there while the visor was just open enough to reveal Scott's eyes, but not the optic blasts? I don't know. Let's just move on. We rejoin Magneto and Toad, who are actually watching this whole fight play out. And they're also monitoring the other three captives via the Magna screen or whatever it was. A Wanda wanders up to see what's happening, and, uh, well, she is uh, beside herself to see her oddly beloved brother in harm's way fighting against one of the X-Men. Now, naturally, she fears the worst, that Cyclops might manage to hurt or even kill her brother. And Magneto assures her that he would never allow that to happen, and Wanda buys it. A narrative caption reminds us that uh, Wanda is currently sporting a, quote, injured mind, incapable of fully understanding the situation. So once again, everything old is new again. 
Uh, Stan reminds us that this is all due to her being grazed by a bullet over in Avengers number 49, which we did cover several episodes ago. Back to the brouhaha, we've got Pietro and Scott repeatedly tackling one another, like they're taking turns here. Scott gets punched in the face and he's just about to pass out. However, he has just enough left inside him to unleash one more optic blast. Which, wouldn't you know it, hammers Pietro in the back, knocking him out. Scott crawls over to him to try and shake him awake. You see, he wants to know everything Pietro knows about Magneto's current plot. But he's interrupted by the arrival of the Avengers. Goliath, Black Panther, Wasp, and Hawkeye are our cliffhanger. So that's where we leave our main story, but we still have our uh, Origins of the X-Men backup. So let's get right into that. This one's called And the Mob Cried, dot dot dot, Vengeance. Written by Gary Friedrich, with art by uh, George Tuska. Inks, John Verporten. Letters, Irving Watanabe. And edits, of course, Stan Lee. Now, you remember how last chapter ended with Cyclops arriving to spring Bobby from the clink? Well, we're, we're still here, because Bobby refuses to leave with this garishly costumed weirdo he's never met before. He knows that he only acted in self-defense, and thus has all the faith in the world in the legal process. Here he thinks he's going to get a fair trial, he thinks he'll stand trial, and by golly, he'll win. Are you even listening to yourself, man? Come on. Uh, Scott realizes that Bobby's completely out to lunch here, and so he decides to just take him by force. So yeah, this is how we get our second X-Man, folks. Uh, Cyclops kidnaps a, what, 14-year-old boy from prison? Anyway, Scott zaps, grabs, and leaps. Now it turns out that Bobby's prison cell was like on the sixth floor of an apartment building. So when Scott leaps out with them, they, they do leap out a window. They luckily fall onto an awning instead of splattering all over the street. Once on the ground, the guys get up and, uh, well, they fight. They exchange projectile attacks, like right there in public. You know, Cyclops is blasting Bobby, Bobby's chucking ice at Scott. It's a fairly ridiculous scene, and um, they are doing this right in front of part of that unruly mob that arrested Iceman in the first place, so there's that as well. Now, we find out that Bobby's top priority here is to evade Cyclops so that he can get back to the police station and turn himself in. Again, he is sure of his innocence and has a stupid amount of faith in the legal system. He makes his way to the docks with Cyclops tailing behind, and uh, Bobby hops into and steals a little speedboat called Susie. Susie the speedboat. By now, the rest of the mob is also caught up, and so Cyclops blasts the dock into splinters in order to send them into the drink. Scott then catches up to the speedboat on foot to continue the fight. Uh, now, somehow, over the course of like three panels, our guys wind up no longer being on the water. They're, they're back on land. Not only that, they're, like, in a darkened alley. So I suppose it's a good thing that Tuska stopped drawing backgrounds a little while ago, otherwise this would make even less sense. Anyway, they fight to the point of exhaustion, which takes us to our wrap-up, where they're confronted by a stogie-chomping, shotgun-toting dude in a flannel shirt. Uh, he looks kind of like Harvey Bullock, I'm pretty sure it's not him. It's uh, basically that stock George Tuska sort of, you know, street-tough character. But that's where we leave it. Next time out, we'll be talking Avengers number 53 for the, uh, I believe, conclusion of this story. But, uh, boy, don't have a whole heck of a lot to say about this one. <laughs> um, this one really doesn't lend itself to all that much in the way of analysis. It's basically a Cyclops spotlight, sorta. I mean, I guess he is our focus character, but uh, it's just a fight scene. It's really just him fighting Quicksilver and... Um, 
not a whole lot more than that uh, We do have the Avengers showing up at the very end Which will get us to our next part But otherwise just a uh, Well not a whole heck of a lot to say Now something possibly worth noting Though probably not um, Now the uh, the big wrap up to this story In Avengers number 53 Was originally solicited as being The story that was going to appear In Giant Size X-Men number 1 Which certainly sounds Ridiculous in hindsight doesn't it But um you know, when the X-Men went into reprint mode, the final issue of the reprints, uh, issue number 93, featured, well, the issue we're talking about right now, Cyclops versus Quicksilver, and the wrap-up with the Avengers. And on the bottom of that cliffhanger page, it said that this story will be continued in Giant Size X-Men number one. Of course, that wasn't the case, thankfully, but uh, it's interesting to consider what uh, what the X landscape might have looked like if it uh, if it had been, you know, a story that was not even originally from an X-Men comic being reprinted as uh, giant size. It's pretty weird, but I mean that is kind of what Marvel was doing. Um, we're going to take a look at a couple of annuals or king-size specials uh, in several episodes time, which is basically just going to be me uh, compiling, you know, a couple of reprints together. There were two of these king-size specials before they officially became annuals and officially, you know, started including all new material. The first two were strictly reprints, so I guess it kind of stood to reason that something like a giant-size X-Men special would be more of the same. More reprints, just uh, trying to get more more comics out there and hoping that something catches on. But uh, thankfully, somewhere between uh, X-Men number 93 and giant-size number 1, well, the real giant size happened. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the planning was. I don't know if uh, the little next issue blurb at the bottom of uh, number 93 was a mistake. It very well could have been. I mean, I've managed to get my hands on a couple of uh, fanzines from the Bronze Age, but certainly not enough to actually plead a case either way. I, I really wish I could get a hold of these things or find a, uh, a digital uh, archive of these fanzines just to... I don't know, add a little bit more flavor to the uncertainty surrounding the weird, you know, reprint years of X-Men to see uh, just what the tone and tenor of the fandom was and if uh, there was any hot takes or if there were any rumors or leaks, you know, coming out and speculation, stuff like that. But, uh, hey, maybe by the time we get there, I will find something. But um, until then, all we have is is what we have. But, uh like I said, not a whole heck of a lot to say. Hopefully we'll have more to say with the wrap-up in Avengers 53. Our backup was kind of dumb. Um, <laughs> it's, I, don't, I don't get the linearity of this story. I mean, Bobby and Scott just wind up everywhere. They're in the city, they're on a boat, they're back in the city, they're in an alley, they're in an apartment building. It's, it's just silliness. And I'm sure... That it wasn't written with an eye toward analysis or, you know, some Jagoff in uh, 2022 trying to uh, make sense of it. So we'll just let it be what it is. And uh, we will leave our story behind and hop into some of our back matter here. We're going to start with our letters page. And boy, it's uh, it's some sad times in X-Fandom because we're going to talk about the death of Professor X. And uh, yeah, not a dry eye in the house here. It's It's very... I'd say it's bizarre, but, um, I mean, I'm, nothing really shocks me anymore. I'd say it was sad, but I'm not sure if I would say it's sad as in upsetting or pathetic. Uh, let's just get to it, and you guys can be the judge. We're going to start with Mike in Colorado. He says he could not believe that they killed Professor X, and, in fact, none of his friends believed it either. 
He claims that he held his breath the entire issue, and he almost cried at the reveal. Now, Stan says that stories like this are what separates Marvel from brand ich. He then immediately apologizes for using the term brand ich in a letters page since he promised several times never to do so again. And that, of course, is a bit of a throwback to past letters pages and bullpen bulletins where people were kind of calling Stan out for his sassiness. <laughs> and he uh, decided to give the fans what they think they wanted and uh, stopped making fun of Brand Ich. Of course, there's a book called Not Brand Ich, but uh, yeah, one step at a time. Next up, we got Trudy in Missouri who starts her missive with three words. I hate you. Wow. Now, old Trudy is really upset that the professor is dead. She says she's been crying ever since she finished reading X-Men number 42. And even as she writes this letter, she's crying. She actually says that. I'm not just making fun of her. She actually says she's crying as she writes this letter. And she says, quote, Professor X was the finest man I ever knew, even if he was only a comic book character. Wow. Uh, She demands that Stan find a way to bring him back. Stan says, alas, death knocks but once, even for as fine a man as Professor X. Which, of course, in 2022 is very, very laughable, but uh, we will allow it. Uh, He also suggests to Trudy that time will heal this wound and all of the emptiness in her heart. So, uh, chin up, Trudy. Chin up. Next up, Burton, Massachusetts. He says he's sad that the professor is dead, and he claims to have, quote, developed a close union with him. Whatever that means. Um, Now, he says his heart literally fell upon reading the last page in issue 42. And he wants Stan to lift the limit your letters to less than a page edict so that fandom can write in at length about Xavier in order to keep his memory alive forever. Yikes. Uh, Stan thanks Bert for the letter and doesn't really say much more, thankfully. Glenn in Pennsylvania says that Xavier's death brought a tear to his eye. And he literally thought for a second that Grotesque was going to destroy the Earth. Okay, um, now he loved the Cyclops back up, and he suggests that there will never, ever be another mag quite like X-Men number 42. Stan says he hopes there won't be another mag like 42, because he doesn't want the X-Men to suffer any more loss. Edward in Oklahoma changes the subject just a bit here. He uh, tries to no-prize the battle between the Mimic and the Super Adaptoid from several months back and during which he gets very, very, very technical. So much so that he loses Stan completely. And so the bamboozled Stan gives Eddie a no-prize just to shut him up. It's like, hey, dude, you lost me. Here's your no-prize choke on it. Next up, Larry in Tennessee. He likes the thick black lines around Grotesque's word balloons, and he also digs the Cyclops' backup feature. Now, Stan credits Roy the boy with the sinister-looking word balloons. William in Missouri. He attempts to correct some Marvel grammar. He says that Beast and Doctor Strange both recently said something along the lines of violence is the last refuge of the dumb, ignorant, yada, yada, yada. When what they should have said is that violence was the first refuge of the dumb, ignorant, yada, yada, yada. Now Stan answers this one with class, basically just saying, oh, you got us, sorry about that. Which is far better than letting Roy reply because... Well, let's face it, Roy would still be writing that reply to this very day. Finally, we wrap up with Kent in New York, who basically gives us a short eulogy for Professor X, and Stan caps it off with a nuff said. From here, let's hop into our bullpen bulletins, otherwise known as The Second Golden Age of Marvel is Here, 
and you didn't even bake a cake. So in case you haven't heard, we're in the second golden age of Marvel. We might hear that a few more times over the course of... uh, Well, we're going to hear that a lot. That's basically it. Item! Now, Stan says that he's writing this on the day after Christmas 1967, and that we're probably not reading it until April 1968. Cool. Item! Hey, uh, you know all those new solo serieses that Marvel's putting out? Well, yeah, they're still coming out, so, so buy them. Item! Marvel Superheroes, the bi-monthly 25-cent blockbuster, will continue to feature a different character each issue in an all-new story. The issue on sale now has Medusa of the Inhumans boring us, and it's uh, drawn by Gene Colan. Item. One of Marvel's great new mags will be going bi-monthly and get a 25-cent price tag. Which one? Well, maybe we'll find out another time, because he ain't telling yet. Item. Did you know Millie the Model is a Marvel bestseller? Well... That's a factual fact, so uh, you could take it to the bank. Also, oh, by the way, did you know that Marvel still publishes Western comics like Rawhide Kid? Well, they totally do. You ain't buying or reading them, but they're here. Item. Hey, you remember last episode when Stan hinted at that deluxe 35-cent magazine? Well, I kind of spoiled it last time and said it was the Spectacular Spider-Man, and uh, yeah, it is. It's 52 pages, has a painted cover. It also has Spidey's origin completely redrawn by John Romita, and uh, according to Stan, it's never looked better, so suck it, Ditko. It also features the work of Larry, Nepotism Lieber, and Jim Mooney. Buy it, or Stan will cry. And uh, he really means it. Let's hop into Stan's soapbox, where, uh, hey, you know how Marvel's putting out that 35-cent Spider-Man magazine? You know, that one we just talked about like five seconds ago? Yeah, that one. Well, did you know that it's not a replacement for Amazing Spider-Man, but, in fact, an additional book? Well, if you didn't know, you know now. Next up, the mighty, mighty Marvel checklist with uh, the Amazing Spider-Man Spectacular number one. You know, that one we just talked about twice. Yeah, that one. Uh, Also, not brand ech number eight. Again, it's uh, still on sale and still forbush. Uh, Fantastic Four number 76 has the Fantastic Four searching for the Silver Surfer. Spider-Man number 62 has Spidey vs. Medusa. Marvel Superheroes number 15, speaking of Medusa, as mentioned, she gets her own story here to bore us to sleep. Avengers number 53, which we will be covering next episode, is uh, AVX round 2. Daredevil number 41 features the death of Matt Murdock. I don't think it'll stick. Mighty Thor number 153, whatever happened to Dr. Donald Blake? And what does Loki have to do with it? Captain America number 103, the girl Cap loves, prisoner of the Red Skull. Incredible Hulk 105, Hulk vs. the Missing Link. Iron Man number 3, the return of Happy Hogan and his alter ego, the Freak. And the solicit actually says, Hoo boy! Now I can't say for sure whether or not that's sarcasm, but I'm going to assume that it is. Submariner number three, Namor and Triton versus Plant Man. Hmm. Marvel's Spaceborn superhero Captain Marvel number three has Marvel versus the Super Scroll either again or still. I'm I'm not sure if this is a, a monthly or bi-monthly. We may have read this illicit before. Next up, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield number two, has Fury versus the monsters who defied evolution. Doctor Strange number 170 features the return of Nightmare. Sergeant Fury 55, Pam Hawley is back. Or not. It's one or the other. She's either back or she isn't. That's pretty much what it tells us here. Captain Savage number 3 is still on sale. Marvel Collector's Item Classics 15 is still reprints. 
And Marvel Tales number 15 features Marvel Boy and much, much more. And my friends, that is that. That's our issue, that's our story, that's our, uh, that's our talk, and that's our visit for today. And uh, while I'm off to uh, floss for the next several minutes in preparation for my, uh, my dental visit, I sincerely hope you're all having a more exciting day than I. And if so, I'd love to hear about it. Please feel free to reach out. You can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, uh, Instagram 90sXmen, email weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. The uh, X-Lapsed voicemail hotline is 623-396-JERK. Blog post, show notes, chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, Facebook 90sXmen. What else do I talk about? Oh, yes, the archives, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available anywhere you find noise. And the Patreon is patreon.com slash xlapsed. But that's going to do it for now. I would like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend a little bit of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.